0: listening to episode 160 of sci-fi tv rewatch my name's dave and i'm joined as always by my co-host wayne as we have reached the end of our journey down the pilot preview path and now we have to decide on a winner and and i think we've come up with one uh but we'll hold off on releasing that for another few minutes but how you doing on week three of summer vacation
1: yeah so bad so so you know (laughs) i got uh a ringing endorsement yeah no it's uh It's good. Uh, Just uh, sending off three of the four kids to camp and then, uh, you know, I'm discovering that now with the one kid, now I am the big playmate uh, for the remaining child rather than the siblings before. Uh, So did you do the fireworks routine? Uh, Yeah, we went to uh, Catonsville fireworks. They were actually last night.
0: uh, Oh, they did it last night. Was that because of the rain? Uh, Yes. Okay, because here in Maryland we had uh, pretty heavy rain the 4th of July, pretty much all day. Steady rain, great for lawns, trees, shrubs, and all that, but terrible for fireworks.
1: Right, right. But it was good. Uh, As my buddy said, he just uh, extended the binge one more day. Nice. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right, well, speaking of binges, we're here to discuss the two-part
0: pilot of TNT's Low Librarians. But before we get to that, Wayne and I want to remind you that we'd love to hear from you via email at scifitvrewatch at gmail.com or at the website where you can leave a voicemail using the Leave Voicemail tab. You can record your own audio clip and send the MP3 as an attachment or just send us a tweet at rewatch, and we'd encourage you to consider joining the Facebook group and join the discussions there. And, and there are some good ones going on. I posted an article from 2010 but it but it's still relevant today that was originally posted on io9 by charlie jane anders and and the article basically talks about shows that just left us hanging that the final episode could not in any way be misconstrued as a true series finale i don't know if
1: you saw it yet or not you know i was actually just looking at it a little bit ago and uh I, you know, I was getting really angry as <laughs> me because I'm like, there was no mention of uh, the Sarah Connor Chronicles until the very end, which I thought it should be more appropriate at more at the top. I don't, I don't know if they put a thought into the ordering of them. Well, you know, and I, I've mentioned that
0: I'm watching a show called Odyssey Five that uh, aired around 2001 2002, and it's one of these that had one season, 19 episodes. Big cliffhanger at the end, no resolution. And even though I know that going in, I still got caught up in the show. But one of the things that that I posted just real quickly on the Facebook uh, thread is, is that you, you would think in this day and age of streaming still of DVDs and Blu-ray, people still buy those, that you know the show's canceled. Give them one extra episode to maybe tie things up as – best they can and i think emily posted on the facebook group that that would be difficult you almost need three episodes and, and yeah i mean ideally she's right but just something because everybody doesn't get a movie say uh, the way firefly did right
1: and i, I thought it's interesting how the article uh, listed dark angel as a show that was able to achieve uh, a measure of resolution which i guess is kind of true you know yeah, I mean, I think we came to that
0: conclusion. It yeah. wasn't perfect. It 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 certainly left open a lot of plot possibilities for a season three, but you know, it was
1: okay. Um, yeah, it certainly didn't get just you know coldly dropped like the you know like a lot of the shows that they were talking about in that article.
0: Right, like Farscape again got the Peacekeeper sure. Wars to tie things up. And, Warehouse and, thirteen got a couple of got five extra shows, and and you would just think now. Since there's so much money at stake, that that might be a consideration. I guess we'll see that as we move forward. But speaking of moving forward, we want to remind you guys that we plan to cover the entire first season of HBO's take on Michael Crichton's Westworld when it airs in October. So make a point to watch the movie if you have never seen it, or just as a quick refresher, because it's just over 90 minutes. It's a quick study. And we'll keep you posted about our plans leading up to the debut, because I, I think there's a lot there we could talk about in, in different podcasts leading up to the series.
1: Sure. I guess still haven't watched the movie again. So.
0: Well, again, 90 minutes. <laughs> All right. And, and if you have trouble finding it, uh, let me know, because I did find a link for it. I think I might have even posted it, but I'll, I'll go back and check. All right, well, we got some listener feedback this week, and we heard from Dan Mikowski. Haven't heard from Dan in a while, so it's it's always good when he checks in. And he says, I'd like to compliment you on your review of the Alias pilot. Oh, thank you, Dan. Alias is one of my favorite all-time shows, and I agree that it has one of the best pilots. Right up there with Lost, Prison Break, and Justified. And if I may, I'd like to pick up on something that was brought up in your podcast, which is the Powerhouse Cast the show introduced me to a lot of actors who I then followed to dozens of other shows. You mentioned Rachel Nichols and Gray Grunberg, who I followed to Continuum and Heroes, respectively, but I also followed David Anders to The Vampire Diaries and I Zombie, Sarah Shahi to Life and Person of Interest, Terry O'Quinn Quinn to Lost and Hawaii 5 0. And yeah, I had forgotten that Terry O'Quinn was in alias. And he had a did alias predate Lost? Yes. Wow. Yeah. By in fact, what happened was and I think I mentioned this in our podcast is that season four of Alias was airing when season one of Lost was airing, and there's a scene in Alias where Sydney's having a, a birthday party, her father comes to the door, and you right. hear the music. Right. Right. You'd say that. Yeah. Okay. Charlie. So Dan goes on to say a lot of shows casts just disappear and aren't really heard from again, even those of great shows. In fact, I'd be hard pressed to name many current shows whose cast I'm really into. It's a special show that can put together a cast that you want to follow onto other shows. And for me, Alias was one of them. And, you know, it, it's funny because I, I'm going to mention tonight when we talk about the librarians how researching the cast of the librarians led me to Odyssey 5.
1: Oh, yeah. So, yep. Who, who's right, in well, Odyssey 5? We well, I'll, I'll get to okay. that. Okay patience all right i'm just
0: so excited about this i know i know all (laughs) right so we heard from fred long island new york Uh, hi dave and wayne sorry i'm late with my comments about stargate sg1 i really wanted to recommend the series in part because it was pretty special for our family at the time it was on tv we missed the first run of the early seasons on showtime but when sci-fi channel picked it up they ran those episodes a lot to get people into the show so we caught up and joined in the fun Our daughter was young, about 10 at the time, and we let her watch along. We had the opportunity to discuss some important themes, as any good sci-fi series allows us to do. We even got to attend a Stargate convention in 2004 when they did a tour of several cities, in part to promote the upcoming Stargate Atlantis. My daughter and I posed for a picture with Michael Shanks and got autographs from several cast members. I would recommend Stargate SG-1 to anyone who loves to watch a team work together always up against that big bad for one or more seasons, but there are also more humorous episodes or stories that come back in individual episodes across seasons. Watch for the contributions of the Deloise family. Michael, Peter, and of course Dom, who along with Amanda Tapping, have left their mark in the sci-fi universe. And by the way, the pilot dug itself a little plot hole when in the opening scene, the invaders walk back into the Stargate, which becomes a big no-no for the rest of the series. Oops. <laughs> well sometimes the writers do something they regret later I guess. Thanks again for checking out maybe my favorite series ever for sentimental reasons at least. And hey, it's a great series. And and, and again, it's just one of those that it's it's just daunting because of yeah, how much 220 yeah, yeah. episodes, but, but
1: I, yeah, I really like about that particular feedback the whole you know how it kind of brought them together with you know they watched as a family and everything. I think that's that's awesome, and that's really special when you have a show like that that you can talk about with like your kids and you know sit down and watch with your kids and everything and uh 'cause I mean that's kind of like what it used to be for t v right when families just had uh one television set and three channels, you know it wasn't like you know one person was on one t v and someone else was on their iPod in the corner and everything or their iPad or whatever you know everyone sat down together and watched a show. And that's probably, I think, uh, less and less common. Well,
0: and especially currently, because so many of the sci fi and genre television shows are, are really dark. Right. And, uh, you know, in, in a lot of cases, uh, I, I would think a parent, and you certainly know this better than I, you, you almost have to reach over to your kid and hold your hands up in front of their eyes because, you know, whether it's violence or sex or or, you know, just something else disturbing. It just really eliminates a lot of shows from what we call family viewing. Yes,
1: yes, indeed.
0: So, and again, not that Stargate doesn't have its share of violence, but it's not depicted so graphically the way a lot of things are. Right. So, all right, and then lastly, we heard from Taltos, who says your reaction to Defying Gravity's connection with Grey's Anatomy is considered to be a major factor in why the show was canceled sci-fi fans were turned off by the description and never gave it a chance that and abc's lack of promotion apparently abc didn't even pick up the series until three weeks before they started airing it and starting the series at the beginning of august an odd time even for a summer series narratively and relationship wise i'd probably compare it most closely to quantico It had a very similar format where part of the episode would be the present day mission and part would be a flashback to the astronaut training program, which usually related to something going on in the mission. Like Quantico, the majority of the relationship stuff was happening during the training part and there was very little during the mission part. And given what what Taltos is saying here, and I think really what you and I were just able to glean from that, you would think ABC probably regrets using that marketing approach. Well
1: yeah it just it seems kind of upside down to well they they weren't thinking about their audience very well basically. Right exactly. So. So. All right well
0: why don't we move forward and talk about tonight's final pilot preview which is of the Librarians and I guess now would be as good a time as any to let you guys in on what Wayne and I've decided and we're going to push forward with the Librarians. Yay. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think it's perfect and, and, and coming on the heels of what we were just saying about Stargate being a family friendly show, the Librarians is that show. And so much of what we watch for the podcast and in real life just seems so dark. And and to have a show like The Librarians, which is so good, mm-hmm. but it's so upbeat that, you know, it's nice and, and it's gonna be fun talking about a fun show. Um, and plus, it, it
1: fits in kind of well with our schedule as well. You know.
0: Well, it does, because we're covering episodes one and two, which aired together the first time around, which means we've got eight to go on season one. Season two, which has already aired, also had 10 episodes. Season three, it's it, the show's been renewed. They haven't announced an airing date yet, but the first two seasons aired in December and January. So I would suspect, since we haven't heard anything yet, other than the renewal, which it was a while ago, they'll probably follow a similar format. Which, which is great.
1: Yeah, I think the uh, the first season, I believe, kind of ended on like on with their Christmas episode. I think was their last one and then season 2 yeah as you said went into january and everything but it's like so fast like the librarians is especially cuz they they run the first two episodes on the first night so then you know it's basically over before you know it almost so yeah it's a sprint
0: yeah and we'll talk about it in more detail as we continue the podcast but don't let our description of this show as being family friendly, turn you off to it. Yeah, because I know a lot of sci-fi fans and, and a lot of our friends that are sci-fi fans don't really have any interest in, say, a show like Supergirl. And I, and I know for you it's just a time constraint. I really do think you'd like it once you watched it. But it's a fun show, and, and that doesn't mean it's silly. That doesn't mean it doesn't have good thematic ideas, because it, it does have those things. But It's just got such a lighter touch, and and it's nice. All right, so Librarians, it's a two-part pilot, two separate episodes, The Librarians and the Crown of King Arthur, and The Librarians and the Sword and the Stone, both written by John Rogers, who wrote the story for Transformers movie, directed by Dean Devlin, who wrote the Stargate movie. He also wrote Independence Day, and he's working on the Stargate reboot at this point. And both of these episodes aired December 7th, 2014. All right. Now, like a lot of people know, I assume, I guess shouldn't assume, the Librarians TV series is an outgrowth of the three librarian movies. You've you've seen them all, I suspect. I have, yeah. It's been,
1: okay. as, as I was watching, because it kind of went backwards. Like I started watching the Librarians, then I realized there's, all this stuff beforehand, I didn't even know that there were movies, and so I went back and saw the movies, which were you know very much like the the TV show, yeah, except and just Noah Wiley,
0: right? And, and these all air on TNT, and the the three movies were made as TV movies for TNT two years apart: The Librarian, The Quest for the Spear, two thousand four; The Return to King Solomon's Mine, two thousand six; The Curse of the Judas Chalice. 2008. So you see a theme with the movies and also with the TV series that they take already recognizable myths and stories and either embellish on them or just, you know, take them right out of the uh, literature books, which
1: I like a lot. Right. And it's always like like a a little twist on it, you know, where it's like, you know when they say vampires exist, yes, vampires exist, but Dracula doesn't. Really, he's like, yeah, because I killed him. It's like, yeah, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, stuff like that, where it's just kind of like a little twist on it and everything, which is always kind of very funny and cleverly done.
0: Well, it, right, and it's one of the things that this show does so well, and, and the movies really. I, and I would say, to a lesser extent, I, I really think the TV shows much better than any of the movies and i like the movies
1: yeah well especially the, i remember the first one was i thought kind of the weakest one i think they got better as, as they went but yeah the, yeah the tv show i think is is uh better than the the movies okay all right well why
0: don't we run through the cast real
1: quickly okay there's good uh, cast for this one oh it's a great cast
0: and and, and the great thing is they're relatively unknowns other than well, Noah the, Wiley.
1: The, the three main ones are relatively unknown, and then everyone else around them is like superstars.
0: Well, we'll, we'll see about that in a second. All okay. right, so Noah Wiley as Flynn Carson, right. and, and obviously a lot of the listeners know Noah Wiley as Tom Mason from Falling Skies, and- his character is the antithesis. Well, of he was kind
1: of on ER for a little bit too. The, you know, a lot what, of people kind of know him from that. I think.
0: All right, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I all I had was like this condescending remark about medical shows in my notes. So. <laughs> all right, all right. And the number two character in the show is Rebecca Romaine as Eve Baird, who plays Flynn Carson's guardian, and we'll again we'll explain that in a second. Now, you know, Rebecca romaine's one of those. Actresses that I'm thinking, like, okay, I know her. Everybody knows her. What she' been in? She hasn't really been in all that much. Well, the X Men movies. Well, exactly, where she played Mystique. Right. But but outside of that, right? Sure. Not a whole lot. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And so, you know when she was cast, you know, they're casting this part. I, I remember thinking at first that that seemed strange, like that was a weird casting call. But then, after seeing about five minutes of her in the the first episode, you're like, she's freaking awesome. Yes, yes.
0: Now, John Kim plays Ezekiel Jones, the thief. And to be honest, you go to IMDb, he's only got two other credits. And one of them was when he was a young boy. Yeah, I saw he was in the the Pacific, right? Yeah. Christian Kane as jake stone now he appeared in 21 episodes of angel so a lot of the viewer uh, a lot of the listeners may recognize him and then lindy booth as cassandra Cillian, who plays the math savant she was in 44 episodes of relic hunter one episode of supernatural one of warehouse 13 three episodes of the 4400 but she was also in odyssey 5 and as I was going through my notes for this, I thought, all right, Odyssey 5, well, that sounds like a sci-fi show. Let me click on that link. And wouldn't you know, I end up watching the show. And the basic premise, real quickly, I don't want to deviate too, too far, is that there's a space shuttle in space when Earth blows up. Five people survive, and they're met by this intelligent being who tells them, I've seen this too many times before. I'm going to send you back in time. You'll, it'll be, you'll have five years to figure out why the Earth blows up, and you'll, you'll have a remembrance of what led up to it. So they, those five go back. They are the Odyssey Five, and they are trying to prevent the world from blowing up. But in that, one of the astronauts' girlfriend, because he's now in high school, is Lindy Booth. Okay. And oh, she's a real piece of work. I must say, yeah, (laughs) she's great. All right, now the other two characters that I think you were mentioning, and I'm guessing Wayne, I'm going to say these names, and some people, depending on your their age, are going to say who? Jane Curtin as Charlene. Sure. Well, you say sure because you and I know that she (laughs) was
1: Saturday
0: Live. Saturday Night Live. uh, You know the 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 first TV. As well. Right, the first group. And then, of course, Bob Newhart. Look, I'm not going to say he's one of the finest American comic of
1: the 20th century, but he's certainly in the discussion. Yeah. But, but and, uh, I mean, it's funny because when like, Newhart was on, when I was a teenager. I love that show. It's absolutely hilarious. And my parents would talk about Bob Newhart as a comedian and his stand up. And, and I was like, uh, okay, <laughs> you know, but you know, I guess he would, you know, his thing would he have like a phone and he would pretend he was talking to the phone. You just hear his side of it, but he would do, then you realize he does that all the time on, on the show where you would just hear his end of a conversation, but it's very funny, especially the, the stammering and everything that he would do. Like, so.
0: Yeah. My, my parents had a couple of his comedy records and one that has still stayed with me is His phone call as Abner Doubleday, calling a game company, trying to sell them on this game he invented called baseball. (laughs) And it's just hilarious. All right. We do have one prominent guest star that I think everybody's going to recognize. And that's Matt Frewer, who we know as Dr. Leakey from Orphan Black. And and there's something, uh, but there's also (laughs) something else that he's in now. And it's, it's, I'm drawing a blank on it.
1: Oh, I don't know. Um, but, Matt Frewer. I mean, you see him, like, a lot. Especially a lot more than anyone thought we'd see Matt Frewer back in the Max Headroom days, you know. But, uh, but yeah, he just pops up all over the place. Yeah. And, again, he seems to always
0: want to reshape the world yeah. to what he thinks it should be.
1: Yeah, he's just got kind of like a face for a baddie, you know. He does. He does. He's awesome.
0: All right. Yeah. Uh, and then, lastly... John Larroquette and his character, I mean, you know, it's, what was a show called? Night Court? When yeah, he, Night he, Court. He came to prominence. Yep, yep. And then he had the, uh,
1: the John Larroquette show.
0: Right, which, which I, you know, that came on at a time when I was just not watching television at all. Yeah. Because I really liked him in Night Court. Yeah. Oh, the John Larroquette
1: show was great, too. It was very funny. But yeah, Night Court was a classic, though. That's, uh, that, that was, again, when I was a teenager, that show was on. I loved that show. It was great. I think it was on the same night as Cheers as well. Oh, okay. So, All
0: right. Well, let's get on to the episode. You got a cold open, terrorist attack in Berlin, and we're introduced to Rebecca Romaine's character. She's got the two bad guys that got automatic weapons. And then, of course, the next thing you know, they've activated their weapon of mass destruction, which... For a weapon of mass destruction, it was kind of small, but <laughs> that's okay. So while she's trying to figure out what to do there, she's cut off from her team. The, you know, the timer is clicking. Suddenly, Flynn emerges from an air vent on his search for some famous opal that the Nazis stole back in mm-hmm. World War II. <laughs> and right away, it establishes what we're dealing with here is a show that's going to be heavy on humor. Heavy on adventure, and is going to deal with magic because right away, well,
1: it's locked in the magical case, of course. Right, and you know, and then they, there are that parallel of him trying to unlock the the mystery of the opal case, and then Eve trying to defuse a, a nuclear bomb.
0: It, exactly, and it, it also establishes part of Flynn's character, which is this single-minded devotion to whatever adventure he's in the middle of, which at this point is to getting that opal because it summons demons, but doesn't control them. All the while, 15 feet away is a nuclear bomb set to go off.
1: He admits, but he says it would be so much easier to concentrate if someone would turn off that beeping nuclear bomb. Yeah.
0: And (laughs) uh, another thing the show does so well is provide snappy dialogue that I find myself laughing. I must have found myself laughing out loud six, seven, eight times during the course of these two episodes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and, and one of the first, he helps her defuse the bomb, and he's like trying to. He, he's he's talking out the code for opening the uh, magical case, and he says the numbers, and she says, "Yours or mine?" And he says, "Strangely, both." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and helps her defuse the bomb, and she's like. Well, how did you know all that? I'm the librarian. Right.
1: <laughs> and I was yeah. like, okay, laugh number one. Yeah, yeah. Which you know becomes this recurring kind of joke then where wherever they go, and people are like, Who are you? And they're like, oh, we're librarians. I <laughs> feel like, okay, so why are you investigating this thing? Yeah, it's yeah,
0: and look, obviously in a pilot, there's got to be a certain amount of exposition. And we have some of that here, but they just do it, it from my perspective brilliantly because they don't beat us over
1: the head with it. There, we don't have any voiceovers. Sure, and you know, there's things from the movies that we don't know, like we don't know about the relationship between him and Judson and uh, I can't remember Charlene, Jane Curtin's character, Charlene. Um, but we get that, you know, like they they can that information gets conveyed to us, but we see like you know Flynn's you know, how his reaction to uh, the library shutting down. Yeah.
0: And then we immediately see Eve after, you know, this this weapon of mass destruction incident, which she was successful at at defusing. And apparently she's been told that she needs to take a month's leave of absence. Now, I don't know if that's standard operating procedure after, you know, a traumatic event like that, but she's like, well, what am I going to do? She goes home to a house that looks barely lived in. She opens up the refrigerator. There's one bottle of water. It doesn't look like anything's ever been in that refrigerator. Right. Other than maybe a bottle or two of water. And you realize she's just like Flynn, single-minded in
1: her job. Yep. Yeah, right. No personal life to speak of at all. Just, uh, yeah. And and the the department's perfectly... And again, that's like I like that they convey that. They don't beat you over the head with it, but you get that her job is everything i mean she says a month what am i going to do for a month like she can't even imagine like not
0: working yeah i mean in that 60 seconds we learned so much about her mm-hmm. and then under her door is slid the invitation to the library yes. and yeah again she doesn't say it she does, but obviously she doesn't have anything to do for a month yeah. what the heck a library is not exactly the kind of place I would want to work, but maybe they need security there. And they do. And they do, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, so we learn once she gets there that there is only ever one librarian. When he dies, someone takes his place. And we also learn as the episode transpires that the library seems to be a living
1: entity in and of itself. I mean, is yes. that fair? Yes. Not, not unlike it, it, this is like chicken egg, like Warehouse 13, the librarians, right? Because the very the the concept is almost exactly the same. Right.
0: We're introduced to Judson, played by Bob Newhart, who died five years ago, but his spirit is trapped in a mirror. And again, one of those scenes where she—that's one of the first magical things she witnesses him in the mirror and, and you see her going around to the mirror and reaching behind the mirror and it's like, hey, buy a guy, a drink first. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, it's a in perfect Bob Newhart fashion, know yeah, that that, that uh, understated kind of humor is fantastic. Yeah.
0: So what we're
1: presented with
0: is essentially a procedural solve the murder of this guy that was coming to see Flynn at the library. And, and, you know, he's talking to Flynn on the phone when Matt Frewer's character, and I forget his name, uh, uh, Dulac, right? Stabs him with a knife and mentions the fact that the crown is mine. So at this point, we don't know. Of course, we could tell from the title of the episode that it must be uh, the crown of King Arthur. Sure. But if you're not paying attention, you're thinking like, all right, what crown?
1: and you'd have to really not be paying attention because they, you know, the title appears in letters. They write it at the beginning of each episode. So, yeah.
0: Now, part of the problem is also determining who is killing people who were considered for the library position. The last time it opened, and of course, the last time it opened, Flynn was was chosen to be the librarian, but for whatever reason, Somebody's killing them all, and this guy turns out to be one of them. So we've got you know, a, a mystery going on here. Follow the clues, which sure. is a lot of what Flynn does as a librarian. Follow the clues to whatever artifact he happens to be hunting. One of the things I really love about Eve is how she just jumps right into the fray despite her background.
1: Well, I'd say I mean, not despite her previous position, but because of her yeah, I mean, like, this just goes right in line with what she did before because there's all kinds of action and danger and, uh, you know, hunting. Because, like, yeah, you know, I assume as a part of a counterterrorist team, uh, investigation is a pretty big part of that job as well.
0: Well, well yeah, and, and I agree. And that's why she's so good at what she does as uh, the show goes on. But no, I, I was speaking more from the fact that she's got to deal with things that previously she regarded as fantasy, as playground of children, you know, magic and and things, secret tunnels and stuff like that. So I, I guess that's what I was where I was coming right. from with that comment. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right, and you're right, and you're right. So despite like you know having a very real world uh, type job before, she does acclimate herself to the world of magic pretty quickly. Like she's pretty you know accepting of it right away. And I guess when you see someone. Uh, you know, dueling with a disembodied sword uh, that that can maybe help convince you of the magical side of things. It speeds up the acceptance a little yeah. bit, yeah.
0: And, and right away, she looks at his murder board and <laughs> has some condescending remark about his inability to put the clues together. And you know, she's the one that helps him determine that somebody's killing librarians, but that three of the top candidates, Never appeared for their interviews, and they search online with her smartphone. Another reason I need to get a smartphone. Mm -hmm. That three were invited to interview for the position 10 years prior, all failed to show, all are still alive. And then that's how we're introduced to each character in succession. So the first character we see is Cassandra Killian, who's working as a hospital orderly, I guess, right? Or a janitor. Yeah, she looked like she was like a janitor. Right. Because in fact, after she, what we first see is a patient's being brought in. It appears critical. Uh, the doctor's hovering over the uh, the gurney as it's being wheeled to a room and they're going through the symptoms and she is mopping, overhears him and then contradicts him, tells him he's wrong. And then all of a sudden, one of the attending nurses says, listen to the janitor. She's Right. <laughs>
1: Well, it seems like Flynn knows that the doctor is wrong, too. So basically, this is a really bad doctor here. But uh... but
0: we learn that she's what's called a syn- synesthete. Yep. All five of her senses are linked to her memory. But more to the point, she's a math savant. And I got to tell you, she definitely got the coolest gift, at yeah. least visually, on our television screen.
1: Yeah, and they do that at least probably at least once an episode they give her some chance to kind of we see what she sees, right? Which is she sees math as actual objects that she can manipulate with her hands and she actually you know starts to, where she'll move her hands apart in like this sweeping motion to bring up her you know visual thing and sometimes you forget that the other characters aren't seeing that just we as the audience are seeing what cassandra sees um yeah yeah, uh, that's really cool that's that's a great point
0: because all they see is her waving her arms in the air right and talking to herself yeah (laughs) right and then uh i can't remember whether it's yeah i think it's flynn tells her that you need to come with us are you the police no i'm the librarian yeah and Again, I'm laughing now. It's,
1: it's, every time he gets to say that, right. you Get a kick out of it.
0: Yeah, but just as we're laughing, we get a downer thrown at us when we learn that her condition is exacerbated by a frontal tumor that's slowly killing her. Yes. So that we, you've got that, and obviously that comes to play a significant role in in these two episodes. So we'll, again, we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. All right. So so we've got two candidates we need to track down so what they do is they split up flynn goes to geneva to find ezekiel jones even cassie go to oklahoma to find jacob stone and they're told that beware of ninjas 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 in oklahoma Oklahoma? (laughs) (laughs) that's what i said (laughs) again another great line yeah so they split up and
1: but it's like the bit they said, they said, be careful of ninjas. You almost knew we're definitely going to see ninjas in Oklahoma.
0: And, and we see him in the cowboy bar. And it's just, again, it's just, it's just
1: awesome. But. Well, I like how he, he's trying to talk, chat up this attractive woman. And, uh, but he comes off. as like, yo, Hey y'all, you know, like just a regular kind of yokel. And, uh, I'm, I'm not trying to insult people from the South by saying that, but he, he he doesn't appear to be the educated person that he is. He pretends to not be, but then, you know, looks around before he translates the the tattoo into English and then also reveals that he knows that it's from William Butler Yeats's poem, The Second Coming.
0: Right. And, and that's one of the fascinating things about Stone's character Are we going to learn why with his background, with his intellect, why is he intent on working this menial job on oil rigs five miles from where he grew up? So, you know, again, we've got that that mystery in the background, you know, to go along with Cassandra's tumor. We learn along the way that magic travels upon a network called Ley Lines. And, you know, one of the aspects of the librarian's job is keeping magic in check. And I guess you could argue that this is a metaphor for governments and weapons, that the job is to make sure they don't fall into the wrong hands and basically destroy the human race, destroy the earth. What we end up with now, though, is the classic spy espionage story. So, you know, we we certainly are still trying to solve the murder, but it's kind of evolved into this espionage tale. And even Flynn take the three to Munich to find the crown of King Arthur via this painting that is now part of the equation.
1: Right. Which is, I don't know if you noticed the look that Flynn gave Jacob, because remember Flynn was like, quote unquote, vexed. Because he couldn't identify the painting. And Jacob takes one look at it. He's like, oh, it's the crown of King Arthur. And then Mm -hmm. Flynn shoots him this look like, why you little? (laughs) And then
0: Ezekiel knows exactly where it is in the world because he was casing that museum to steal something. So it's like this team is, is just perfectly put together. But we find out the painting's got coordinate code embedded in it. And of course, now they've got to figure it out. So we're back to the decoding the clues, which is a big part of of both of these episodes. And while they're figuring it out, Eve's got to fight off Lamia and her assassins. And, you know, even the fight scenes are cool. You know, in shows like this, sometimes the fight scenes are kind of lame. And I don't want to say nobody dies because I think she does shoot one of the bad guys and he falls down. Yeah. But they're certainly not graphic. I mean, certainly sure. children. I mean, again, you know better than I at what age uh, this would be appropriate. But, uh, and it's not as if we have a ton of fight scenes,
1: but. Right. And there's no one like crunching someone's knee, which I hate. Oh. <laughs> so just good old fashioned, kind of like, you know, like you would see maybe in, uh, in, in an older movie you know sure where like a person takes one swing and the other person just falls down everything yeah know. exactly
0: all right the bad guys have to have a cool name i'm liking the serpent brotherhood yeah that's that's a pretty good name for baddies right and certainly after doing dark angel we're all about ancient cults sure bent on bringing <laughs> magic to the world yeah and what they're looking for is the burial place of Arthur's crown because without the crown, it'll take us a hundred years to remake the world. And okay, here we go again. And I know some people are going to say, uh, "Come on, you know, you guys talk about tropes all the time. You know, isn't that a isn't that a trope?" Ah, eh, maybe, but it's just done so well. Yeah, exactly. Right,
1: <laughs> you get away with it if you do it uh, expertly enough, right?
0: Exactly. So Eve's going toe to toe. I'm sorry. Uh, Well, yeah, Eve's going toe-to-toe with Lamia, and it's not going well. Flynn comes in, and one of the first things that Lamia says, again, this line is just, it works almost everywhere. You just tweak it for your needs. You brought a crowbar to a sword fight? Yeah. <laughs> I was trained by Excalibur. I think I'm going to be okay. <laughs> right, right.
1: That was excellent.
0: Yeah. So they retrieve the crown return it to the library. Cassandra asks if Flynn dies, does one of them become the librarian? And, you know, it's funny because on the one hand, if Ezekiel asked that, we might think that he's asking it because he wants to be the librarian. Right. There's no malice whatsoever from her. No, well, she's... The Guardian, so she
1: is always kind of thinking—her no, no, her job Cass- is to think ahead. No, this is Cassandra that asks All right, Cass- Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yes, yes, right, right, Cassandra. Right. Yeah. And Because you know, Cassandra's just so sweet. Right. And, and, and again, just as we're really
0: emotionally bonding with her, the assassins get into the library. Lamia gets the crown, puts it on, eyes glow blue, and now Excalibur responds to her— she stabs Flynn and tells her henchman to first kill the librarian, who's lying mortally wounded, it would seem, on the floor. Episode
1: one ends. A classic baddie mistake, right? Oh. Like, have you never seen a TV show woman? You got to finish him off yourself. You yeah. can't leave your lackeys to do the job for you. Yeah, and I think probably the
0: worst incident ever would be the Game of Thrones. Uh, when they were when when uh they were in the fighting ring and the the one guy I remember he crunched oh, yes. his eyes out. Yes. Whatever, right, right, right.
1: So we go on to episode two. Martel. Yeah. The, but, sword. Well, the the one thing I want just you know, this is like what I love about Ezekiel's character because he's just like he's he's so like he's a really I think probably the most out of a lot of very very complex characters, he to me is the most fascinating because he is very arrogant and self-assured and you know eve says to him you know can you hotwire a helicopter he's like well as a matter of fact you know just like you know just stuff like that yeah and the fact that she just assumes that he'll be able to right right and and that he says hey i could do that yep. uh, and, and then flynn building the the welding torch out of a picnic lunch i don't even know if the science behind that is true or not I have a feeling it's not, but uh, but that was still kind of cool.
0: All, all it was missing was a MacGyver reference. Right, right, all right. Well, it doesn't take long in this second episode for us to find out that the reason the bad guys got in relatively easily is that Cassandra let them in.
1: Right. Yeah, I, I had forgotten about that she had betrayed them. You know, in, in this episode, because. You know, I see Cassandra, like, from having now watched this show for two seasons and absolutely love Cassandra. And she's, like, one of my favorite characters. And I I might even be in love with her a little bit, you know. But then to realize that when I first saw this show, like, you kind of hated her at first, you know, because of this betrayal.
0: Well, you know, I, I guess in the back of my mind was still the tumor, even though I didn't put two and two together right away. To their credit, they don't make us wait very long to you know, give us the information that the reason she betrayed them was because they claimed they could cure her. Now, granted, you could argue that she's worried more about herself. I was about to say that. And you wouldn't be wrong.
1: Yeah. But Like we're talking about the fate of the world, and I'm going to put that in jeopardy for a self, let's say a selfish reason. You know? Yeah, sure. No, you know, it's hard to, you know, can we judge? No, it's like judge being judgy is not attractive at all. But, you know, still, you know, there is that, that she really made a bad choice here.
0: Along with her choice, we find that the library exists in its own pocket dimension. And because Charlene realizes what's going on, decides to and again i'm not sure what the proper term would be i would just say she collapses the library
1: as they rolled it up
0: right and and i guess later we learn that what she's done is cut the tether i guess to use a 12 monkeys terminology uh she's cut the tether between the library and the real world so it still exists we just can't get to it
1: yeah, we and we learned this layer. They can still like access it, right? They can still get stuff out of the library. They just can't physically go there anymore. Well, I don't think they can get artifacts
0: and, and magical devices. They can get information, right? Right. That's yeah. Right, and, and, and certainly reference material like books and things like that. So the library is collapsing. They've got to make some sort of decision. Flynn even says, "I've never been this deep in the library before." And again, I like that they've got to decide which door, and I forget who pushes him through. (laughs) I think Eve does, I'm pretty uh, sure. Right. And you know, so they go through, they end up, they're in a forest, Flynn's bleeding, and we learn from from Flynn that because it was caused by Excalibur, which is a magic sword, it's not going to heal and he's going to die. Right. Now, at this point, I guess this is a spoiler. I mean, at this point, we don't know whether maybe he will die I mean well,
1: exactly because they've they've already broached that topic right that uh, actually a couple of times they've mentioned it where we know the show's called the librarians, and so we know that this group of of people that are being assembled are going to become librarians, but They said the only way a person becomes a librarian is when the old one dies. So, yeah, I remember watching this thinking, you know, I think Flynn is going to die during this episode so the other three can take over. Yeah. Which I was bumming because I'm like, I really like this character of Flynn Carson. I don't want to see him go. Yeah.
0: Well, as they're trying to get their bearings, uh, they right away run into Jenkins who's sitting on the hood of his – Buick station wagon looks like it's about an early 90s model. Yeah. And he offers him a ride. And, and, and of course, Eve's like, we got to get him to a hospital. And he's like, no, he doesn't need to go to a hospital. And again, at this point, we're thinking, like, okay, is he another bad guy? But of course, it's John La Roquette, so we don't envision him as a bad guy. Right. He takes them to another entrance of the library, which is where he works cut off from the main library jenkins just wanted a quiet life of study judson he accuses of gallivanting around the world seducing princesses (laughs) which (laughs) uh that may be his imagination running a bit wild Um, well
1: later on when we find out who jenkins is yeah
0: okay All right. Well, you know, we've been talking about the bad guys want to bring magic back to the world, but of course, for their own purposes, Cassie naively thinks they're going to bring it back to help people the way they're promising to help her. And of course, that's not what their intention is. But I love the scene where, again, they make the point several times that because it's a magic wound, it's not going to heal. He is going to die. And given her background, her training, everything she's been through already, it's a little disconcerting to see Eve really feeling kind of helpless and vulnerable. And Jenkins gives her that pep talk about how her job's not just saving him physically, but also to minister to his emotional side. And then she goes in and and just really does what she needs to do. It was was a great scene.
1: Well, yeah, because... you. Jenkins gives Eve the motivational speech, then Eve goes and gives uh, a similar motivational speech to uh, Flynn.
0: Right, and we understand that a lot of what's bringing Flynn down is the fact that, number one, he's still coping with Judson's death, and number two, from his perspective, Charlene might be dead as well. Right. So the two people that he really had a
1: connection to now gone. Right. Yeah. And he, you know, until this point, he's not really seeing that. Okay, well, there's this new group of people that he can make connection with. Eve is the one that gets him to kind of start realizing that. There's also, like, twice, because we we see almost right away that this kind of romantic, uh, you know, link between Eve and Flynn. And so the first time when they were, they were in the forest in Germany and uh, you saw them getting close to having like maybe a romantic moment, is when he sees the henge. And so he just interrupts her and he's like, henge! And he starts running across. And then here, we get this, again, this heartfelt conversation between the two. And you see there's a, almost a romantic moment there. And also, he's like, key! And he jumps up and everything. You know? So he's just, like, like we said about Flynn before, like he's kind of always um, on the job. And, and that, that certainly takes precedence over anything else in his life.
0: See, but it's strange because, see, I didn't see it that way in terms of the romantic overtones, you know, at that point. I mean, certainly at the end of the episode, she kisses him, but at that point, I'm not sure what he was going to say when he notices the henge and what he was going to say when he, you know, figures out that it's a key. But I guess I didn't realize, I mean, I didn't really think about it at that point, even though I knew what was coming at the right. At the end of the episode,
1: right
0: All right. well, you know, obviously we get a lot of cool locales, and whether they're actually the back lot of some <laughs> network uh, you know regardless, they go to London right. to find the stone well, yeah,
1: at least the exterior shots came from yeah England, exactly at least.
0: <laughs> so they they want to find the stone that Excalibur was pulled from because they figure that if we return Excalibur to the lock, so to speak, that's going to produce even more magic and more power they realize it's in buckingham palace they get access to the event and the more tv shows you've watched whenever you see a woman that's got her hair pulled back severely is wearing basically black pantsuits suits throughout you know there's going to be a scene that calls for her to be in a formal Dress or some, you know, right. dress. Yeah. And and we get that here. And, and again, it was awesome. All three of them look
1: at her like, "Wow." <laughs> well, because remember, they had their idea of how to get in, and Eve is like, "No, that's ridiculous." And they're like, "Okay, we well, push, you go off with yourself, you know." And then they get held up at security, and it's Eve who has to come in and you know rescue them. Right, gets them in as her team. Well,
0: Cassie is the one that cracks the code for Lamia because, of course, the stone is encased in this pretty cool little trap. But not surprisingly, they don't plan to help her. In fact, she immediately says, lock her up. When the rest of the team finds Cassie imprisoned, they're not so readily ready to free her. I mean, I think Flynn is, and I think even uh, Eve recognizes that it probably wasn't really her. I mean, it was her, but that there had to be extenuating circumstances, right. but... It's really Jacob who's
1: not very forgiving. Yeah, well, that's either. true. And he's the one who had the scene with her back in Germany when, who remember, he uh, figures out a way for her to kind of come back from what if she's having seizures during, you know, when she starts, her brain gets going too fast. You know, we established this really close bond between those two back then, But then he seems to be the one that is probably feels the most betrayed by her as well. Well,
0: Flynn takes out Lamia, but he's dying.
1: Librarians win with electromagnets. Well, there you go. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Magic seeping back into the world. So too is Excalibur. And he gives the sword to Cassie. So he's dying. He tells her, touch it to your head. It will heal you. And you see her bringing it up to her head slowly. And, and we're not sure. Does she not believe it? Does she, is she afraid that it'll have a negative impact? He dies. She can't do it. And then instead touches him, brings him back to life. And then she tells Flynn, you already saved me. And, and I think by that, she just means that, you know, her life had been directionless. She wasn't able to use her gifts. She didn't have any people that understood what she was going through, he saved her and mm-hmm. she was returning the favor. And and again, just this selfless act. Clearly she has to rewin their trust. That went a long way.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And again, now, I think it, she's probably convinced everyone except for Jacob that, you know.
0: Right. Now I don't exactly understand. They put the sword in the on the stone and it melts into the stone. Right. So, I guess is this is just another way of hiding Excalibur. Well,
1: it's Excalibur's dead. Oh, oh, okay. You're right. And and so it was just, I guess, returning to, you know, whatever the matter came from or something. But yeah, yeah. I think it was just to indicate that, that, you know, the sword is had died, which is, you know, like sad because they gave it like dog sounds all the time. So, oh, right, right. So right. it wasn't just a you know, a, a gleaming sword. It actually was kind of like a pet too and everything. So we feel it a little bit more than we would seeing a, a quote unquote sword die. I mean, everything is turning out the way we
0: had hoped it would. One word that doesn't come up in the episode. And I'll say that word in a second. I'm almost surprised. Flint's is ready to send all three of them back to their lives. Dude, really? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Did you not see the title of the show? Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, again, it's all, all, all three of them. It's like, how could you do that? How could, how could you do that to us? Judson tells Flynn that he's in charge, and it works out perfectly. Flynn's going to go off. He'll handle finding the library, bringing it back. These three can handle the less apocalyptic stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and he'll be back in a few weeks. Try not to die. So Flynn leaves Eve behind to protect those three. And then of course we have the kissing scene yeah. uh, as, as he's leaving, which <laughs> obviously catches him off guard. And then Jenkins introduces the team to the clippings book as the episode ends. And and obviously the clippings book is, is key to the series to a large extent, right? Sure. Because that's where they get their, right. their next job the monster of the week. Right. So now the question is, as you get to the end of this episode, you have to ask yourself is that it for Flynn? now obviously we know the answer to that and and the answer is no it's not the end for Flynn, but it's not about him and he doesn't appear in most of the episodes
1: right and i wonder if now that uh you know falling skies is done will he be in more episodes in in the future yeah that's a good that's a good point i didn't think about that it, it seems as if
0: i recall correctly he appeared in the season finales of the first two seasons, at least. And probably yeah, a couple of random episodes I, here I, and there. I think
1: he was in a lot more of season two than he was in season one. He was definitely in the in the finale of both. It seems like there was a couple more episodes in season two. I, I can't remember exactly, though. But it's good. Whenever he pops up, it's, it's always awesome. But not, that's not saying that. And what, I, what they successfully did is took. I mean, the movies were, they were just all about Flynn. Right? Oh it was sure. Just him and they successfully transitioned from this you know, this franchise, I guess we could call it as about this one character, now they've handed it off to a a collection of people very successfully.
0: Yeah. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot. Oh boy. I'm eliminating Judson and Charlene from the equation. Okay. Who's your favorite character?
1: I I have to say Eve Baird, I think. Okay. Let's say Eve. She's she's awesome. And Rebecca Romaine is like really, yeah, I think she's really impressed me as an actress through this show. Like I said, I didn't really know much that she had done outside of X-Men before, um, but to see her handle comedy, drama, gravitas, you know, action, she really just kind of does it all. Okay.
0: Uh, for me, it's got to be Ezekiel
1: Jones. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Oh, just, they're all,
0: yeah. Well, I just love the bad boy. I just love the fact that his skills as a thief are what are needed and they're going to continue to be needed. And I think the question will be, can he balance his desire to take things that belong to others with actually being on the team
1: of good guys? Right. Well, and also being on a team, right? Because being a kind of thief He's always just been on his own. Well, he's, that's true. Although
0: yeah. I, I guess I figure with somebody of his skill, he probably was involved in some of these Ocean 11 type <laughs> capers, you know. But
1: it doesn't seem like
0: it though, right? Because well, we, be
1: tr- we see him by himself, you know, the first time.
0: Yeah. And in fact, the one scene where they're stealing the, the jewel at Buckingham Palace and he's sitting there eating candy or whatever. And you realize right. that at the end, he's just eating enough so that it weighs – I don't know how he knows how much that stone weighs, although he's probably already
1: <laughs> yeah already figured it looked out. it up
0: or looked it up on his phone or yeah. whatever. But yeah, and anyway. he, he,
1: he's he's great. Uh, yeah, he, I mean all of, like the, all of these characters are, are really awesome. And, and I said before Ezekiel is one of the more complex ones because because he is kind of like immature and selfish and everything. He doesn't quite necessarily fit in with the team. And then like the number of times where he throughout the series we'll just say, well, I'm awesome. You know, like it's this declaration of his own awesomeness, uh, which is so uh, extremely cocky and arrogant. But, uh, you know, he's great.
0: Well, right. In in contrast to Jacob Stone, who it's almost as is reluctant to divulge how smart he is.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: So. All right. Well, great episode. I'm giving it an A. Oh, yeah. A day for sure. Yeah. I mean, and and obviously, as we said, we're going to continue with. The rest of season one of the Librarians, and I haven't looked at a calendar recently, but that probably gets us close
1: to October. And well, October is right after September. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you said you hadn't looked at a calendar. I just wanted to reassure yeah. you that it's still in the same place. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All right. All right. Anything else you want to throw out there about the librarians? Well, just uh, the one part, which I thought, again, not like necessarily the funniest part, but just like again, uh, an example of of the light touch that this show has, is, and also revelatory of Jenkins, this character who is this kind of like, don't touch that, you know, like you know, so used to be on his own, having a quiet existence out by himself. Now has all of a sudden like your sister's family comes in with. There are three kids and two dogs, and, and and so, you know, Flynn opens up the big globe, uh, the big shiny globe, and, uh, and then they leave, and he's like, um, you, you know, like, wait, you, you forgot to turn off the, the big shiny globe you know, yeah. and everything. Ho- hopefully it's on a timer. Yeah, and then he, he actually claps his hands twice, <laughs> like, a, yeah. like a clapper.
0: <laughs> well, and that's one of the questions. Who's going to be in charge? Jenkins? or eve or will they have to work together as a team
1: yeah well at the end it certainly seems like eve is the one who's kind of gonna be calling the shots right
0: but it's going to be jenkins and the book of clippings sure that, that is going to send them on their their okay. way so i'm looking forward to doing this show it's just i forgot how much fun it is yeah
1: oh i love it, love it. one of my favorites so yeah
0: yeah. All right. Well, we want to thank you for joining us tonight. We'd love to hear from you with follow-ups about any of the pilots that we've previewed or anything else you think we should be watching. We'd like to encourage you to join the Facebook group. And if you're already a member, spread the word. Emails to rewatch at gmail.com or voicemails via the SpeakPipe tab, which you can access through the website. And we'll be back next week to discuss episode three of season one of The Librarian's. And the horns of a dilemma. But until
1: then... You know, Dave, you're smart enough to be my sidekick. We'll call you Kid Crime.